Hello there, my friends, and welcome to Take Me to Eternity with Leah Fiore Tracy, where I try my hardest to filter the world and the things coming into the church through the Word of God. Today is going to be a hard subject. Um, I think it's perfect for the season, something I'm sure that some will agree with and some will, well, they won't agree with me, and that's just fine. Today's episode is about anxiety depression, and self-harm, how we as Christians can deal with it, and ways to view it. I intentionally worded it self-harm for a reason. I believe that there are many forms of self-harm that are highly overlooked and also that suicide is only one of them, yet in turn it's the worst because it's the end. There is no chance for better after that. I have to say that I am not a doctor. And this is not extensive. It's not the only view, and I'm sure plenty of people will disagree with me. This is simply how I see things, being someone who has dealt with depression, anxiety, and suicide myself, and also watching others around me struggle with the same things, and losing someone that I love very dearly to suicide. I ask that if you're going to listen, that you listen to the end. Uh, maybe you won't agree with me, but... This is going to be a hard episode and maybe you'll understand a little bit better um, somebody else's point of view, you know, when you're done with it. It was a hard topic to research and it was hard to write, but it is very hope-filled and sometimes hard helps us to find breakthroughs. Hopefully it's going to help somebody out there. That's, that's my goal. If you are dealing with depression, anxiety, or thoughts of suicide, please find help. You may need medication, if it's physical, but in everything, please find a godly person to talk to. A Christian therapist, psychologist would be a great person to go to. Not that God can't help through someone that's not a Christian, but different worldviews find importance in different things, and someone who walks with the Lord might be able to um, go about things slightly different. I really believe that it can be both spiritual and physical, so don't be afraid to get help and, you know, medication is needed sometimes. Your mental health is extremely important and needs to be handled with the utmost care. What I say in this podcast is not an end-all be-all to mental health, nor is it said by a mental health expert. This is simply what I see and what I want to share from my own mental health journey. <clears throat> as well as what biblically I see and has helped me. Sometimes physical issues such as a chemical imbalance or vitamin deficiency, among other things, can cause depression and anxiety also. So again, please see your doctor if you need help. Um, know that you're not alone and that it's normal for, for humans to experience depression and stuff to a certain degree. Um, but it's also normal to ask for help and um, just find somebody that you can trust. If you know anybody or if you yourself are um, dealing with or thinking about harming yourselves, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Call 1-800-273-8255. And if, it's not in the United, if you're not in the United States, there are suicide prevention hotlines everywhere. So please find somebody. Now on to our topic. I have spent my life very entwined with depression and anxiety. I chose ways to harm myself that were not so obvious, and I'm glad that I didn't go any further. I shied away from medications, and at times I really should have been, at the very least, seeing someone who could have helped me navigate it, if not on medication also. Instead, I self-medicated, which in turn was not a great idea, though I didn't understand that at the time. I knew it wasn't okay to harm myself, and for me, doing something wrong eats, to me, eats me to the core, like it, it bothers me a lot. So it didn't happen very often. Though I know that others greatly struggle with self-harm in one way or another. Um, I, I attempted suicide multiple times and after a family member found out, the repercussions for me was that I saw it from their perspective better. 
Um, I saw how it would hurt others, and I felt his panic when he thought I would die. Though that's the exact same family member that committed suicide years later. Um, I have to say, I lived for other people for most of my life. Not because I thought they cared about me, but I was too concerned with the burden I would leave on him if I actually succeeded. I knew someone would have to find me no matter where I was or what I was doing, and um, that alone could damage somebody for life, and I wasn't willing to do that to somebody else. I didn't want to put my pain on other people, and that really stopped my attempts, though it didn't stop the longing for it. I've struggled with crippling anxiety and depression for most of my life, so here are some things that have helped me or things that um, I've had to work out myself. I know some people say that you have to live for you, but for me it really wasn't possible for a long time. If you continue life because of someone else that can get you through to a time when you can live for yourself. And um, I'm not saying that it's healthy to live for someone else, but any reason to live is a good reason. <clears throat> when I say living for someone else, I have to use caution. That's a something that can be taken very wrongly. I lived for others because of the pain I didn't want to cause them, and not because I thought that they loved me so much or valued me. In my mind, those two things were totally different. There was a difference between their love for me and my lack of wanting to put pain on them. I didn't want to hurt others, even if they devastated me, even if they hurt me. I, I didn't want to hurt them. People say don't live by your feelings, and that's absolutely true. Don't live by your feelings. Um, you'll hear me say that often if you listen to me. But for me, my feelings have saved me from doing some really stupid things. I don't like doing anything wrong and the feeling that I get from that. And the Holy Spirit knows how to use my feelings in that aspect to deter me from doing wrong in a lot of cases. Though, like everyone else, I tend to make bad choices sometimes. Other people are responsible for what they do, and I am responsible for what I do, and that is the only thing that I have any control over. It wasn't just me in my life that struggled with depression and self-harm. It was many people around me. I got to see that the people that I love struggle and react in so many different ways. So many people who didn't want to live and let everybody know around them. And um, so many people who didn't tell anybody but were struggling really, really hard. So many people embraced their self-harm and wore it like a badge. Um, in reality, it was a desperate cry for help from a person too in love with their pain to know what else to sh how else to show it or too devastated by their own choices to see any hope for the future. Not that they wanted it, but they embraced it all the same. We aren't supposed to embrace our depression and anxiety and suicidal ideologies. I don't think that's the right word. But God. God can change anything. In God we can find a hope like no other. Too many Christians teach a pharisaical view of Christianity, one that is unattainable. No one can live up to it, and we aren't meant to. That's the beauty of what Jesus did for us, because no one could ever be good enough, so God did it for us. <coughs> Excuse me. He sacrificed himself so that we could be made right with him. Romans 4, 1 through 8 says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven 
and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. I love Ray Comfort's way of evangelism. He brings people through some of the law asking, you know, have you done A, B, or C? And then he helps them see their need for someone else to pay for their crime. They see that they can't be good enough, that no one can live perfectly. He tells them that Jesus paid their price. He says, it's like you go to court and the judge says, your verdict is guilty, but Jesus paid your fine. You can lawfully go now. There's no wink to sin. The debt has been paid. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It was truly finished. We can't do anything to earn our own salvation. He did it all. He was saying, I paid your debt and there's nothing more to do. We do, however, have to accept his payment. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are owed death for our sin. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can choose to not want God, that's our choice, but in doing so, we're rejecting him entirely, and I don't think people understand that. In rejecting God, we reject truth and goodness and mercy and love. We reject justice and peace. I really think that's why the world's so twisted on right and wrong. When we reject God, we are, in a sense, rejecting sanity to a certain degree. John fourteen six says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through, the, through me. One thing that feeds our depression and all things that stem from that is addiction. Addiction has vicious cycles to it and you can watch it pull people deeper and deeper into despair to a point where they seem to think that there's nothing else, no hope for change. And, you know, addiction can be a lot of things. Um, I think a lot of people think that it is drugs and alcohol, and it is, but it's also so many other things. Genesis 4-7 says, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. We are supposed to master sin, or in different terms, we are to fight it, not embrace it. There's always hope, but that hope comes with an action to change on our part a lot of times. One problem with depression is it brings you to a place where you really believe that there's no hope. But with God, there's always hope. In darkness and the world, there really isn't any. As a believer, I know that my hope is in God, but so many don't know that because they aren't in the word. Or they don't believe God to begin with. 1 Timothy 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. One of the huge reasons I try to stay in the Word so much is because I am so very selfish and forgetful. I try to stay in my Bible so that I can be reminded over and over again of God's love and His grace, His mercy, and His ways. Ephesians three sixteen through 19 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I want to live for him because I love him. But I also want to live for him because my way leads to darkness and depression, hopelessness and death, and his way leads me to life, freedom, hope, and joy. And I know this from experience. <clears throat> I know it's really selfish, isn't it? But that's the truth. I mean, I love him and um, I don't want to be in darkness. I've known Jesus since I was little. I've known he was my savior and even through the hardest times in my life, I knew he was there. 
That doesn't mean I lived for him, though I should have been. I was still living for myself, and I really didn't know what the word said, more than verses I remembered from when I was little, and the times I would read the Bible like a salve for my wounds. It's interesting that you can get comfort from the Bible even when you don't conform to it. God is so gracious like that. It really shows his goodness, doesn't it? It's so hard walking through this world when we do it the wrong way, though. When we live how we want to and not how we're supposed to, it tends to hurt us. In, turn, in return, though, we tend to dismiss it or in some cases get angry at God like he did it to us. We were meant to live for Christ. We were meant to not live for ourselves. That's why the Bible tells us so many times to die to self, to be imitators of Christ, to be servants and love everyone. There's a selfishness that the world pushes on us that only furthers the problem of sin and depression. It was not until I turned and lived for Christ that I had any real change in the area of anxiety and depression. I am not saying I'm anxiety-free. I'm not saying I'm depression-free. I'm just saying that there's hope now when there wasn't hope before, and it's different. I don't have a hopeless depression, and I'm not living in anxiety. There's always a light in the darkness that I can ignore, or I can choose to cling to. My husband tells me the reason the windshield is so big and the rearview mirror so small is that we're to be focused ahead and not behind us. We can glance backward, but we aren't supposed to stay focused on it, and it's really true. I think so many people who are depressed are so focused on the past, past hurts, past sins, past things they wish they could change, but in Christ we're made new. And we're not the people we were before him. Why would we sit and grovel in the things he has already forgiven? Not to say it's not normal to do that, but we really need to war against that. The past is the past for a reason. And though people can do terrible things and hurt us immensely, we should forgive them and move on. We're also to forgive ourselves. We're to forgive people and leave justice up to God. I know I've hurt people with my sin, and I pray that I can be forgiven by the people I've hurt for my wrongs, but in everything, I know that I'm forgiven by God. We need to sit in that. We really need to think about that and um, pay attention to the fact that he's forgiven us, and we, we can't just sit in it. It's not healthy. Our future is in heaven, not on earth. Looking through the windshield is looking towards heaven, not to worry about the future, but to keep our eyes on Jesus. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. And Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We are to resist worldly desires and seek God in all things. I write a lot of poetry, and recently I went through some from when I was younger. One thing I thought about when reading it is how hopeless it all was, how I had no light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't hope in my future or have any chance of things getting better in my eyes. One of my poems, I was talking about my struggles with manic depression, and it said, I know this is a forever problem talking about rapid cycling. I would go really high and feel almost euphoric and then I would plummet and I would be super depressed and it would happen quickly and it would be over and over again. And I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Boy, was I wrong. I didn't know God was gonna change everything for me. That's something that God has really changed for me and I'm super grateful for that. Depression and all that stems from it can be caused by many different things. I can't get into all of them, um, but depression is a chemical imbalance in our brain. Sometimes changing your diet can help, stopping the addiction you depend on, working through past trauma, getting out of a lifestyle that's harmful, some people need medical help, but in all of it, we can't give up. 
We need to do the things we know we ought to and not do the things we know we shouldn't. We can have tools to help us or we can continue to live in a cycle that hurts us. It's our choice. So why is it so easy for us to be in despair? How quickly one can go from life is great to Lord, please take me, I'm done. These moments really show our need for God. We're just so weak as humans that every small thing can have such a big impact on us. We reach for things to comfort us and take our minds off what's in front of us or sometimes what's behind us. We reach for our phones, other people, alcohol, drugs, TV, music, sex, so much more as a way to drown out the world and our own inner thought life. But why? I mean, as believers, what's so big that we can say that we have a right to not be at peace with a God who's completely sovereign? I mean, if you believe God's completely sovereign, then... um, That needs to be our end-all be-all, you know? In the midst of trials, we see in the Bible people worshiping and singing praises in prison. We see rejoicing after getting beaten and threatened. We see trust in the middle of battle, leaving everything to go to a new strange land when asked to. Such faith and trust and obedience, it's amazing. But it doesn't mean that if you get depressed or are in anguish that you don't trust God. Um, That can be one thing that causes it, you know, but that's not what it means. Jesus was in anguish at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's God. I mean, he knew what he must do and he sweat blood. It can be a lack of trust for sure, but that isn't always the case. I mean, God didn't lack trust. Sometimes it's, it's just being anxious for what's ahead. And even though we are to pray and trust God, his answers and his provisions, we're humans who see hurt coming and it upsets us. Sometimes what we perceive isn't actually reality though. And in, in the middle of all of it, we just need to remember to trust God and trust him through the hurt and trust him through the anxiety or the pain or the depression There are people, or there are plenty of people, pleading for the Lord to help them in times of trouble in the Bible, praying for death, praying for life. I mean, all you have to do is read Psalms to see that. We have a view of humanity that shows our need, our lack, and our Savior. One caught me a bit off guard, though, when I was reading it, and coming to the realization of who was speaking and the depths of his despair, it just, I don't know, makes me feel better as a human when I see other people's acting human. It was Elijah. Elijah had just taken on the prophets of Baal. He showed them that Baal was nothing and that God is all-powerful. He mocked them and asked them if Baal was pooping and too busy to show up. He had called fire down from heaven and God sent fire from heaven. I mean, he was an amazing mouthpiece for God who walked intimately with him and showed amazing signs and wonders. And then in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 8, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your... Make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. 
The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arise, he, he arise, he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. How quickly he took his eyes off of the all-powerful God and led them on circumstances, like he just laid him on circumstances and went, oh no. Maybe he was just fretting over the danger he felt he was in. No one says you can't be scared over things that are scary, but we are to look to the Lord to be our help and trust that he will be. Elijah was tired and hungry and thirsty and he despaired. He lost sight of his hope and prayed for death. In the end, God sent him an angel to nourish him and in the strength that he got from that, he continued. Part of God giving us his word is so that we can be nourished and comforted by it. So we can remember he loves us and is our help. Immediately after Elijah was nourished, he went to the mountain of God and spoke to him. He saw his glory pass by as he sheltered him in the cleft of a rock. If you don't know the story, go read 1 Kings 19. Read it all the way through. It's a great story. True story. It's amazing to watch such a powerful man who is so close to God and see his humanness. It gives me encouragement for myself because, boy, do I despair quickly. I just need to remember that God's there and things can change just as quickly for the better. It doesn't mean I'll instantly feel better, but I'll be getting my strength from God and he is always faithful. We can't sit in despair when we keep our eyes on God. We can dip down and sit there for a moment, but we can't stay there if we truly trust him and keep our eyes on him. He, he lifts us up. You know, he, he, um, he is our helper. Depression and despair are part of this fallen world. They lack trust in God or a fear for what's coming. When I say keep your eyes on Christ, I'm saying to remember his character and goodness and provisions. Remember who he is and who we are and whose we are. Remember what he has done and his promises to us. Remember what he's done in your life. Remember the amazing things that he has brought you through. Stand firm in him. Gather strength from him because he is our strength and our provider. We ought to be talking to other people about his goodness and provisions more because for me, I get so much hope out of talking to others who have come to the other side of things that I'm facing or like the ones who are rocks in the midst of giant trials. Like I said before, I still have issues with depression and anxiety myself. I'm not saying this like I think I have it all figured out or I have a perfect anything because I don't. I know I lack, but hearing about great people in the Bible who also faltered at times kind of makes me feel like not so much of a failure in life, you know? Knowing that Jesus, who is God, even had angst makes me think of it a, a little bit differently. Like, life can be difficult and things can be hard, but God, you know, we're still supposed to keep our eyes on him and trust him. You know, that's not a lack of faith. It's just reality. His will will be done, not ours, right? Ray Comfort did a video on struggling with depression. That's a great video, and I'm going to link it in the description just because I think it would be a great thing for people to um, watch. It's, it's a really good video. There's a despair that comes with darkness, a complete lack of hope. We can drown behind it or we can fight and rise above it. There are so many times when we despair that we really have no actual reason. Sometimes we have horrible things happen and people do terrible things to us and cause us great pain. And that can lead to shame and regret and depression and self-harm. So there's many reasons, you know. Sometimes we don't have a real reason, but we feel helpless and hopeless and unable to cope with life in general. I mean, that's true for me. There can be times where I'm like, my life is great. I, everything's wonderful. I don't know why I am so anxious or depressed. If this is you, you're not alone. You're not. I think more people need to openly talk about it. 
Um, I know a lot of people who struggle with it. Another thing is people need to stop comparing their hurts to other people's hurts. It's not comparable. Everyone has their own shadows, their own places of hurt and pain, not one comparable to another. Mine's not worse than yours because for me, it's the worst that I know. And for you, yours is the worst that you know. So um, we're allowed to hurt and we're allowed to have a hard time with the things we have a hard time with. The Bible says that we need to be there for one another, encouraging each other and lifting each other up. Two strands are stronger than one, and three are less easily broken, it says. We get grace to share grace, but that takes paying attention to other people, caring about them, and real hard conversations as well as being vulnerable. You can't talk surface and have those conversations. You have to get deep with them. It's so comforting to know that if there is no human on earth, that you always have two strands because you walk with God. God's your second strand. He's the strongest one you can have. There is no better than walking with God. God made our lives and he made things for us to do. When we decide our life is worthless or pointless, we're essentially calling God a liar. When we don't live as he says we are to live, and we do things he has said not to do, we're causing ourselves pain and hurt. We end up hurting others and we so easily sink into despair because our life is full of darkness. Therefore, we get pulled down into the mire. As a Christian, we are to keep in mind the glory that is coming in heaven and not fret over the world and things happening in it. We are to rest in God and lean on him. Remember where our help comes from and like a child wanting to please their parents, do the things with a happy heart that he says to do and stay away from things forbidden. It's easy when you're depressed or anxious or hurting to fall into sin and we need to know what our temptations are and fight against them and put precautions in the way, put things in the way of us between us and that sin so that we don't fall into that. We're to trust him. And man, I see a lot of people who have such a huge faith when they trust in him and things that are so much worse than anything I've had to deal with. It's also good to read about, read about or watch um, people who have gone through more than you and are Christians and have come out the other side. Psalms 121, 1 and 2 says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Proverbs 18, 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Psalms 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song, I shall thank him. Whenever I get anxious, I try to remember to sit in my Bible, and I think about everything I know of God, his character and his promises to me. I pray, and even though my anxiety doesn't always just go away, I know I just need to trust him. I know he's there and that no matter what, he hears me. When I look at suicide, I look at it in the same view as I see abortion. It's a lack of trust in God and his help in times of need. It's a selfish act trying to control things beyond our control. It's murder because only God has the right to give and take life. And I'm not trying to condemn anybody who's had an abortion or dealing with suicide. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm just strongly against it. And it's it's not my place to judge you. I'm just telling you, um, you know, it's it's wrong. In the Old Testament, they were told they can't eat flesh with blood. It says that life is in the blood. So, so many times we do things that cause great pain in our own lives. And then we look at God like he did it to us. He told us how to live and gave us instructions, yet we, we decided we know better. We live how we want to and disregard what he says is right and wrong, yet we don't want the consequences of that. A lot of times we feel like we have no hope and that the hurt we feel is never ending. 
we think that ending things would take away our pain and that might actually be true to a point but what we're doing is taking our pain and putting it on everyone who loves us and not having any chance for things to get better when my brother committed suicide one thing struck me really hard that i wasn't anticipating it was the fact that so many people who no one would have ever guessed were so greatly affected they were devastated I sat and comforted people that would have sworn they hated Jeremy when he was alive. But when he was gone, they crumbled. They were, they were broken. And it just was astonishing to me. You never know how broad your life reaches and how many people are affected by you being alive. I also watched as my family was devastated. For myself, I'm left with what ifs and but whys. I deal with his pain every day and I watch as those around me do as well. Life could have gotten better, but instead it was the end. That person that you smiled at walking through the store, the person that you held the door for, the one you complimented, each one of those can be so impactful and you don't even know it. If you think your life doesn't matter, it does. If you think no one cares, I can assure you that there is someone. Someone who would miss you every day. Someone who wouldn't want life without you. You have value. No matter what, God wants you. He does. He made you for a reason and for a purpose. He put you in this time and place. He gave you your eyes and your hair and your features. He thinks you're beautiful and wonderful and he wants you. If you're not a believer, you need to turn to him because he wants you to turn to him. He can be all these things for you. You just have to trust him. Every single sin you've ever done can be forgiven if you turn to God and accept his payment. If you repent and follow him, God sees Jesus' purity on you instead of your filthy rags. It is absolutely beautiful. It's the biggest hope you can ever have. Every life has value. We are all made in the image of God and no one has a right to kill an image bearer of God. If you're a believer, we can know that he can take our hurt and cause good to come from it and that we're called according to his purpose, as Roman 8.28 says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He calls everybody, but you have to respond. In the darkest depths of your pain and suffering, if you rest if you rest in and can sit in his peace, it doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. It doesn't mean you will never despair, but it means you can be confident that God's for you and that he's working for you. And if God is for you, then you can endure anything. He can turn any situation into something for good. Man, none of us want to have to deal with bad and hard, though. You know, none of us want to deal with pain or hurt. No one wants to deal with hard situations. Whenever life is weighing down on me, I listen to this song by um, Shane and Shane called Slay Me. And it always puts my problems into perspective because it makes me think of Job's life. And it reminds me that things could be so much worse. Job 13.15 says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. And that's amazing if you know anything about Job. Um, for him to say that is just an amazing faith right there. I think of Job and all that he suffered. I think of people like Corey Tenboom who suffered so greatly and in turn encouraged others and lived a beautifully devoted life for Christ. If you don't know who she is, um, look her up, Corey Tenboom. She is, she's amazing, an inspiration, totally encouraging. Our lives are not ours, but God's. Oh, another person is uh, uh, Joni Erickson Tata. She's another one to look up. Our lives are not ours, but God's. How much more selfish can we be than to tell God essentially that we're going to take the power of life into our own hands? And that's what we're doing when we commit suicide, you know.
1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? A question that I wrestled with is, can a believer commit suicide and still be saved? That's one that I struggled with for a little while. I guess it's not really a question I can absolutely answer. I can say, however, the Bible doesn't speak against it, so we have to look at what we know of God. We as believers can be weak and make horrible choices while we're saved. You know, does it make us unsaved if we sin? We should try not to sin, but, you know, doesn't take away your salvation. God knows our hearts. He knows and he will judge us righteously. He will judge everybody righteously. We are not saved by our own works. We are saved by Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. You cannot sin big enough for God to not be able to forgive a truly repentant heart. Therefore, I believe that I will keep the redemptive work in God's hands. I don't know who will be saved and who won't be, but I can say that if a person is not rejecting God, then it seems to me they are still saved because Jesus' payment for all sin, uh, for those who love him, I mean, he paid for all of the sins, not just some of them. We'll all have sins when we die that aren't repented for. I mean, it's just inevitable. There's sins that we don't even know about, you know? And that can't stop salvation I mean, it can't stop us from being saved. Jesus paid for all the sins. One thing that I can say that for myself I had to come to grips with as a believer, who has both dealt with suicidal thoughts and also losing someone that I love dearly to suicide, is how good is God? Do I trust him? If he's all good and every judgment he makes is pure and right, then the only thing I can do is trust in his goodness and his judgment. I need to know that he knows a man's heart and whatever his judgment is, is good and right and true. That's where I have to sit. Even if it was the last second of someone's life, I believe they can repent and be saved, like in that instant. So if you've lost someone, don't lose heart. You don't know what went on in their last seconds. You just don't know. Just know that God is good, and whatever his judgment is will be the best. He's the only judge that can judge perfectly fairly because he knows all things. If you struggle with suicide, man, I am so deeply sorry. Please, please seek help. Seek professional help. Seek someone who knows how to help you work through anything that you need help working through or diagnosing you or, you know, whatever you need help with. And know that you're not alone. There's more people dealing with this than you would know. Being a Christian and dealing with these things doesn't make you less of a Christian or not good enough or not faithful enough. It just doesn't. It just means this is where you're at and you need to fight for your health. Fight for a chance at a better tomorrow. But whatever you do, don't give up because we can't give up. When you're drowning in the darkness and you feel like there won't ever be an end, just know that this life is short. Get in the word. Cry out for help. Call somebody. You know, find, find somebody who will help you. And cry out to God. God is our help and our comforter. Just don't be alone, you know. Psalms 43.5 says, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Life is so very difficult sometimes. I often sit and think about how terrible it would be to miss out on the wonderful times in life that I never thought I would possibly have. I mean, this I didn't expect my life to be where it's at right now when I was younger, that's for sure. If I had succeeded in ending my life when I tried, I would have missed all of this. I, I just would have missed it a lot. I know that I have suffered and God is using that to help others. 
I've seen time and time again where my suffering has allowed me to have grace on those who have like struggles. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. I find great value in the times God uses me. It amazes me that the more that I look for him working in my life, the more that I see it. If we don't look for it, we'll miss it. If you look for the bad, you're going to see the bad. If you look for the good, you're going to find good. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of this, the, the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. We know that when we, that we will have troubles on this fallen planet. We know that life is going to be hard. We were warned by Jesus himself, by the lives and struggles of the apostles, and by Jesus's life. We shouldn't expect anything less. We know, however, that we have hope in God, that he will give us strength when we need it, and we need to rest in that. Psalms 94, 14 through 19 says, For the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. For judgment will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his stand for me against those who do wickedness? If the Lord has not been my help, my soul would, not, would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. I just love that, by the way. There are so many places that we can find comfort in the Bible if we trust that God is truthful. We can rest in them even while we feel despair. We can trust him even when there is a storm raging around us. We need to fight to get to the other side, fight for eternity. I really think that that's why servanthood and discipleship and fellowship are so very important. We are to look outside of ourselves, be banded together with like-minded believers, people we can lean on when we feel like we're drowning, people who will encourage us, people who will lead us in a direction to find healing. When we know God's truths, it's a reminder when we despair. And we need to know it beforehand. I mean, learning it in the middle of it is really hard. I couldn't imagine life without God, how hard and lonely it must be. I don't know what I would have done not being plugged into a church with godly women to help encourage me and build me, build me up, to hold me accountable and rebuke me when needed. It's what we're supposed to do. The word, the word encourage is a wonderful word. It's a beautiful one. It means to put courage into, to give courage to, to give or increase confidence of success, to inspire with courage, spirit or strength of mind, to embolden, to animate, to incite, to inspirit. Friends, we really need to encourage each other. And we need to allow others to encourage us instead of thinking that people won't care or won't want to hear what's going on with us. You have to be vulnerable. Instead of thinking it's not worth talking to somebody about or what will they think of me if they know my inner thought life. We need to be vulnerable with people who we can trust and will help us with some of their grace that they've gotten from God. You know, help us with encouragement. That's what we're here for. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
part of this is in our own mind. That's where it happens. We need to reject what's not true and hold on to truth. When we tell ourselves lies or sit in falsehood, even self-spoken, we're lying against God. He says every person has value. Who am I to say I don't? He says that every life has meaning and works to be done for his glory. How can I say my life is meaningless? He says that every sin can be forgiven. How can I say mine are too big? Knowing and believing these things, though, has changed my inner thought life immensely. And it's hard to remember sometimes in the middle of the pain and despair or depression, but um, it's so great to know because the Holy Spirit will remind us, and he'll remind us when we're hurting, and it's wonderful. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. One version says we are his masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Even people who don't believe in God were formed and made by him for a reason and a purpose. They don't have to believe in him for it to be true. Truth is truth. Doesn't matter if you did all the terrible things in the world if you turn to him, you can still live for him and find hope in your future. When life weighs you down, when it weighs down on you, it's so important to remember what he says about you and to look to him for help. If you sin and feel the shame of all of it, like you have gone too far, he's only a step away. He's waiting for you to turn to him. Psalms 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. God is a good God. He is just waiting for us to submit and turn to him in repentance. In my life, I have anxiety and depression. I used to feel hopeless and helpless. I felt like I didn't deserve better, and now I know that God loves me even when I don't love myself. That I have value and a purpose even when I don't feel it. Even when it feels like the world says that I don't have a purpose, I do. They, they can't, I mean, they can say it all they want, you know. I, I can reject my own false views of myself and ev even other people's false views of me because God's opinion matters more than my own or anybody else's. In depression and anxiety, I now have hope. There's light, even when it's hard to see. One thing I want to bring up is when someone you love commits suicide, we have a tendency to blame ourselves. We look back to our relationship and wonder, could we be to blame for the suicide? Could we have changed the situation or prevented it? And I have to say right off the top, just stop it. It's not healthy. When we live in a world of what ifs, there's no hope. There's no hope in that because you can't, you don't know. You're never going to know. We can't know what the outcome would have been if A, B, or C had happened. And reliving it and wishing it was different won't change what is. People are responsible for their own choices in life and we can't live feeling the shame like we did it to them. We're only responsible for ourselves and not for other people. I know that doesn't sound super helpful, but it's something that I had to come to grips with. In dealing with anxiety and pain and depression, people grope for comfort in places that can be extremely harmful. Instead of finding help from doctors or even looking to the Lord for comfort, they seek comfort in drugs and alcohol, sex, and sometimes even self-harm like cutting. One thing that we are called to do as believers is to give praise and thanks to the Lord and remember his goodness. For me, it's something that's hugely helpful. When I remember to look to the Lord instead of circumstances and to remember that he is good no matter what is happening, when addictions and self-harm never actually help, it's not even as good as a bandage. It causes so many other problems and though we think there's a hint of relief in it, just leaves you worse than before. It leaves you more empty, in more pain, less hope. But in giving thanks and praise, even when we're depressed and hurting, there's a hope. 
that we're reminded of something that can change for us. We don't have to be thankful for what's happening to us to cause us pain. It's not a fake thankfulness. It's one that acknowledges that any evil is not of God and that God is good even when life is hard and it hurts. We know he's there and that he's listening and he is willing to comfort us. There's a verse that says he inclines his ear to us and another Zephaniah 3:17 says, "The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing." I know for me that one of the things that gets me is when I have unforgiveness in my heart. Sometimes it's long stored and seemingly forgotten, but it's still there. I go to speak of someone or something that happened a long time ago and it ch it ch chokes me up or it sparks anger inside me. I've been trying to stop when that happens and think about forgiveness and um, it's really needed to forgive. Forgiveness is huge. I know that God has so graciously forgiven me. I pray, Lord, please help me to forgive that person or people. I do this genuinely because I know that unforgiveness hurts me and my relationship with the Lord. It leaves an open door for Satan, and God calls us to forgive. In unforgiveness, anger and bitterness grow and thrive. If we continue to feed our unforgiveness, it in turn can bring other weeds with it and can give Satan a foothold, or we can forgive and watch it die of starvation. When we look at our past, sometimes it stings. And when we keep our eyes on our past, we sit in and wash ourselves with our hurt over things that can't be changed and aren't ours to hold on to. We need to be careful how we treat others, how we talk about others. We are called to forgive and we can distance ourselves from those who hurt us while at the same time being careful how we speak of them and forgiving them and showing them respect regardless of if they earned it or not. We can't live in hate. And that is what comes when we sit in unforgiveness. It causes us anxiety and depression. I don't know about you, but I want to do as little things that are going to cause me hurt as possible. People can be horrible and do amazingly sinful and hateful things, but we're supposed to forgive and leave it in God's hands. He's the one who will judge. And when we forgive and let go of their wrongdoings to us, Knowing that God is our righteous vindicator, we free ourselves in so many ways. God knows how to handle people and their sins in ways that we could never imagine. In ways we can truly, that can truly bring justice, like real justice, for everybody involved. But we have to know that he will and leave it in his hands, even when it doesn't look like it. We can forgive and know that he knows and cares and works in all men's lives. That should be comforting to us. <laughs> I also like Proverbs 25, 21, and 22, which says, If your enemy is hungry or thirsty, give them something to eat and drink. It will heat burning hot coals on his head, and God will reward you. <laughs> it shouldn't make me feel better, but it does. It's a reminder that, you know, God is the God of justice also. The Bible says, Forget that which is behind. I think that's huge and it gets skimmed over all too often. We're not just supposed to forgive, but we're supposed to forget too. That's really hard. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love, and it says love endures all things. We can love our enemies. We're called to love our enemies. We can love the people who hurt us. I know that sometimes we don't want to be loving. We decide that others don't deserve our love, but God says love your enemies, and when we in turn hate them, we are returning evil for evil. That hurts us. And I really believe that it hurts our view of God because we start to think that people aren't getting what we feel they deserve. 
it hurts our walk with him because we aren't doing what we're called to do and it it hurts others when they see us living that way and um, they look at us and say oh they're hating so and so they aren't acting kindly what hypocrites right all of these things contribute to our anxiety and depression God gave us a guidebook on how to live, and when we decide that we only have to follow what we want to, and we chuck the rest, we're in turn hurting ourselves and others because God knows what's best for us and how we can live a life that is not only honoring to Him, but also beneficial to us. We have to care enough, however, to know what God says, and that takes being in our Bibles. Not just a little, but being washed by it, meaning reading it continually. When we read it continually, God shapes our minds through his word. When we neglect reading his word, we tend to revert back to worldly thinking and wash ourselves with what the world says and not with what God says. So easily we forget. Over and over again, the Bible talks about sin like it taints our very core. Like it harms us physically, and I don't think that's just hyperbole. It's a way to show that there is so much depth to sin, that it hurts us to a degree that we can't know until we're in heaven, or for some people in hell, I mean, it's going to be terrible to know the things when we're on the other side, right? When we have unforgiveness and negative thoughts, they tend to cluster and take over our thought lives. But when we take every thought captive to the truth of Jesus, we reject these thoughts and in turn plant truth there. If we allow them to fester, the wound just gets bigger and it consumes us. That's why thanksgiving is so important in praising God. When we pray continually and with thanksgiving, we're combating our own sinful thoughts, our destructive thoughts that bring us low and hurt us. When something happens that could bring me down, my reaction in the past was just to sink under it. But God's so awesome. And in the last few years, I find myself when confronted with weighty things, singing our God is an awesome God or how great thou art or like a plethora of other God glorifying songs. And more often than not, I don't go down behind the weight, though I do still struggle. It's less often and for shorter periods when I do. The more I look at him and praise him, the harder it is to sit in my own depression or anger. God softens me and changes my heart. After all of that, I want to leave you with a thought. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your life is not yours. Whether you're a believer or not, you're created by God for a purpose, and it's His purpose. Everything we do is done for His glory. If you reject Him, you bring on yourself pain and hurt because you're rejecting your life's purpose. You're rejecting your Maker and the giver of all good things. I came to Jesus because I love Him, not for any other reason, but in Him I find truth and life. I find hope and peace and joy. Apart from him, there is no good. He is my helper. He is my comforter. I, I, I find all my... Um, he's my stronghold. He's the one that I, I run to, right? We are sinners prone to rejecting God, but God loves us so much that he made a way for us to be made right with him. The wages that we are owed for our sin is death. He knew that we could never be good enough, so he was good enough. He came down and lived as a man, the perfect, sinless life. He bled and died on the cross, and when he did that, he took the sin of the world on himself, and he paid our debt. The only thing that we have to do is accept his payment and live for him. We have to believe that he is who he says he is, and he's done what he said he's done. When we do that, he washes us clean. He forgets our sin. He forgets it. God looks at us and sees his perfect righteousness and not our own filth. It's absolutely beautiful and it's the ultimate hope. Let us pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone listening today yearns for you, to know you, to see you, to seek you. Please fill them with your hope. Help them to see you working in all things and grow confident of your sovereignty and power. Help them to want you, to seek you and to know you. Bring them to a place where they see you, that you are everything. I see so many people out there searching for truth and love, Lord. I pray that they find it in you, that they find the hope that they so longed for. Please bring peace to your people, Lord, and give them a boldness to speak of your truth so that more people can be filled with you and glorify you. I love you so very much, Lord. In Jesus' perfect name, amen.